Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the Booth. All that kvetching about the Boston College game and what was so hard about that? Turned out to be a blowout win. Orange in their three ACC victories all have come by double digits. And the whether it was a week-long layoff or a week-long opportunity to be in the lab or however you want to approach it, it suited Syracuse well. Maybe a slow start to the game, but from there, the most efficient offensive performance of the season. Really, by a long shot, they shot 60% from the field, made seven three-pointers, clamped down Boston College in a number of ways, although BC did shoot uh, 48% in its own right, in an 81-63 Syracuse basketball victory to move the Orange with their second straight win to 3-4 and in the league and heavily favored to get to 500 with Saturday's game at Pittsburgh. Syracuse is only 2-11 all-time at Pitt, but they're going in with a much better team as Pitt continues to work its way through a complete roster overhaul. Pitt last night had... A nine-point lead with six minutes to go at home and uh, blew that against NC State. We'd love to have you chime in if you'd like to at 437-7644-ESPN44 in the booth. Brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. It's a Thursday. That means Mike Waters is coming up. So we'll get into a lot of our stuff with uh, Mike on the uh, Syracuse basketball front. And uh, also, this is the day after the Hall of Fame inductions we Alluded to it a little bit yesterday, and a new crop of baseball Hall of Famers. We'll get into that. On the tube here in our palatial ESPN Radio Syracuse Galaxy Communications Studios practice. We're talking about practice from the Senior Bowl, and my man just bit it. They're they're running out routes showcasing the quarterbacks right now, but they're running out routes into the back corner of the end zone. The quarterbacks with uh, Bill O'Brien of the Texans uh, giving them a little instruction, so they're under good tutelage there. And there is snow fence just beyond, like, two steps, right, probably after the end zone. So every guy is catching the ball, trying to get their toe tap down, and then it's just eating this bicycle fence in the corner. Now they're throwing the other way. Maybe somebody suggested, hey, how about we not get these senior day guys killed here? Yeah, they've gone to the fade now. Yeah, now they're throwing the opposite. Well, actually, they're do, they're going double barrel. They're actually throwing both sides to be efficient uh, in the use of the field and the time. But uh, it's also flickering. Is that the television or is that the uh, Under Armour crazy uniforms they got going on there? Or is it Adidas with the three stripes on the shoulders? At any rate, hopefully nobody uh, – wipes out here at senior bowl practice. Yeah, here's Baker Mayfield throwing in a total drop by a Penn State receiver in the end zone. So uh, that's exciting. Play-by-play of senior bowl practice given to you there. Uh, Hall of Fame, we'll get into that later in the show. We'll uh, talk with uh, uh, really one of our friends in the uh, baseball sports media uh, realm, Jason Stark, on the show on Monday. Jason is uh, flying back from 
a little uh, time away right now, and uh, he's a big Syracuse basketball fan too, so it'll be another game for him to comment on by then. But uh, on Monday we'll get into his take, and really the news of the day is not that Chipper Jones got in. That was a no-brainer. Not that Vladimir Guerrero got in. Uh, no question about that. Jim Tomey also receiving better than 90% of the vote. But uh, where was the border? Like when the Joe Lenardi does his thing, the thing everyone jumps to is not so much the seating or who's in or who's out. It's who's who just missed or just made it on the bubble. And your guy, Polly Trevor Hoffman, longtime closer of the San Diego Padres, just in. And at this time yesterday, Edgar Martinez, designated hitter of the Seattle Mariners, was thought to be in based on the projections of the early ballots that were handed in. He did not make it, 70%. The requirement is 75. Uh, I, I got a tweet yesterday. Yes. Uh, on Trevor Hoffman. I think Trevor Hoffman should be in. He's the second best ever numbers-wise to uh, Yeah, and to a very a, specific. You have to understand that it's not just closer, but it's also closer the way that it's been approached in the last 20 years. But he is number two behind Mariano Rivera, and there's no dispute on that, I think. Yeah. I got a tweet yesterday from a Yankee fan that said, well, if Trevor Hoffman gets in, then Mariano Rivera should have his own Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like he, there is that big of a difference, yes, but that's not how the Hall of Fame works. Just because someone's substantially better doesn't mean he gets his own Hall of Fame. It's Ted Williams was that much of a better hitter than every other hitter. (laughs) He doesn't get his own Hall of Fame. Well, no, I think that there uh, is in all sports. Hockey right now jumps to mind. Wayne Gretzky is the guy that was so much a Hall of Famer they waived the cooling off period at the end of his career. Like in most sports, it's five years since your retirement before you're considered for the Hall of Fame. Wayne Gretzky, like, yeah, you're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, he was the MVP every year. Uh, they put him right in. I do think people that watch these sports have at least in their mind a uh, hierarchy or a pantheon of, you know, just made it or was put in by the Veterans Committee or whatever as distinct from the no doubt about it all-time greats. I don't know that I would use that as an example, Mariano Rivera to Trevor Hoffman. I do think that, you know, the people you rattle off, you look at the first class of Hall of Famers, right? Uh, Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, and they had a lot of time there to to catch up when they first built and then inducted people into the Hall of Fame in the 30s. But uh, Mariano Rivera, in a very specific role, is the best they've ever had. It's funny, like in football, a very specific role, punters and kickers, there's hardly any in the yeah. Hall of Fame. and. You wonder what it takes uh, to get there. I think in our mind we all do have people that among that group of the very best in any sport are just a cut above. Does Mariano Rivera uh, fit in that category? I don't know. Is that meant to be a shot at Trevor Hoffman? Uh, Not sure about that either, but uh, he's deserving to be in there. Let's put it that way. But you – your take on that was that was more uh, Yankee I, fan hubris. Yes, I, I think it's more of a Yankee fan thinking that uh, because he because did it for he the Yankees. Yankees, he was greater. He also had a lot of more opportunities. Well, I was going to gonna say, for the Yankees alone, he's playing on, uh, certainly the Yankees over Rivera's career, not only were a better team than the Padres over Trevor Hoffman's career, but uh, a great deal more opportunities to Especially in save, you know, saving games, you're only useful if your team is winning, and your team is winning in in uh, close games. In other words, if you put Hoffman on the Yankees, 
yes, he'd have fewer saves and wouldn't have been as dominant, but I don't think it'd be as stark a gap as uh, probably your your tweeter was was uh, inclined to think. And then Rivera on the Padres in that same time well, would better would have been better than Hoffman, but not so much that uh, you would be uh, talking about a separate room uh, in in the Hall of Fame by any stretch. And then obviously. Rivera lights out in the postseason, and some teams or some players are not surrounded by teams good enough to get them the uh, postseason opportunities. Trevor Hoffman not so lights out in big games. I will say that. Yes. If I had a, if I had to have a big game pitcher, Mariano's definitely. Who's well, I the mean, the be- and again, when you really talk about Hall of Famers, I think one of the ways to size it up is: can you, in basically one sentence, say what that player did that was above and beyond? You know. He was the most feared hitter for a six or eight year period. He was, you know, an all star eight times out of ten or whatever. Mario Mariano Rivera is the undisputed best closer of all time and was completely lights out in postseason game. You know, has more accomplishment in the postseason uh, really than any you know in terms of relief pitcher anyone in the history of the game. And Mariano Rivera's. Best known blown save was literally a broken, a, a bat. broken bat duck snort between you know yeah. second and you know and those were the, those were the type of hits that he'd give up. Certainly the the boss here would know uh, better than anybody on that. Let's get you some sound from uh, Chipper Jones, who uh, was inducted a 19 year career all uh, with the Braves. Like to have uh, those types of guys that are honored in that way. That. Uh, not only it's an honor, first of all, to st- spend your whole career with one team for that period of time, but uh, the Chipper Jones, George Brett, Cal Ripken crew, we're not going to see a lot of those uh, going forward in the game. We talked about that when Andrew McCutcheon was uh, sent from the Pirates to the Giants in the trade last week. Uh, the sort of icon and build the statue for this guy and, you know, Mr. whatever, Mr. Padre, Mr. Royal, Mr. Etc. Uh, those aren't happening a great deal anymore. And in a Chipper Jones case, a guy who really loved the game, uh, this honor means a lot to him as uh, it's paid off from his somewhat humble be- – it would say humble beginnings, except he was the first overall pick in the draft and becomes uh, the first of those to make the haul. Ken Griffey Jr. is going to be the next. Um try to deflect as much of this as I could because I feel like there's so many people that have a hand in it, whether you're from Pearson, Florida, whether you're from Jacksonville, Florida, whether you're part of the fan base of Braves country here in Atlanta. There's uh, a ton of people that uh, I have to thank for this, and I want to include them in the celebration. There's you know, a lot of people that went into getting me to this point. Chipper on his background, uh, Deland, Florida, and you know, outstanding high school pedigree and all of that, and, and then uh, on certainly to uh, the Braves, where you know he's one of these guys. Derek Jeter was another that when he uh, first came up in that era, completely overmatched in terms of where they threw him in his early years of uh, professional baseball. The guy that's you know kicking the ball around, making forty and fifty errors in a minor league season, and. And that type of thing, but uh, Jones could flat out hit a Mets killer, a switch hitter, and one of the best of those all time. I was uh, here at my house in uh, Milton, Georgia, and had a bunch of friends and family over. It was, uh, you know, kind of all, 
you know, fun and games there till about uh, uh, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then, you know, at that point, you know, when you get the call and, and you're able to share that with the people that uh, you care about the most, uh, yeah, it was it was waterworks galore around the Jones house uh, uh, this afternoon, this evening. Uh, just a tremendous honor. I couldn't be more proud. You know, the first thing I say when, you know, when I embrace mom and dad is, you know, we did it. You know, this is something that's been a long time in the making, and, and uh, today it came to fruition. Interesting to see the uh, New York papers uh, give their back pages to uh, Chipper Jones as the leader of uh, this particular Hall of Fame class, a guy that over his time just wore out the Mets. In fact, I think he has a a child named Shay. <laughs> right? <laughs> Literally, I think that's the case with Jones, who was, um, you look at his numbers against the Mets alone, and uh, you'd say, obviously, because they're even better than his overall numbers, which uh, clearly put him in the Hall of Fame, but um, well-deserved. And the thing I like about Chipper Jones just watching from afar is how as he became like maybe he was kind of a hot shot wise ass as a young player and then as he got on in his career he was the one that policed all of that he's the guy who pulls Bryce Harper aside and like hey man I love the way you play but you can't be you know the the type of guy um, that Bryce Harper was when he first came up and Harper's done a better job of of channeling his sort of enthusiasm and, and fighting spirit uh over time as well. So congratulations to those that made it in. It's going to be an eventful Hall of Fame induction as always in uh, Cooperstown, but uh, this year in particular, a lot of names that, that people will recognize with uh, and uh, different types of fan bases. The Braves have had their group here, that core that, that won all those championships uh, for them, the whatever it was, 15 straight division titles. But the Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and now Chipper Jones uh, in the Hall of Fame, kind of in a uh, cascading basis here in uh, recent years. So uh, Bobby Cox in as well, and uh, that core group. So Braves fans are getting used to coming up here to Cooperstown, and we'll see some more of them this coming summer. Let's get a break out of the way. We're a little late to uh, Mike Waters. We'll go over last night's game with him when we return. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Crunch are back home this Friday against the Belleville Senators. Countdown to Crunch time starts at 6.45. Puck drop at 7 on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Many thanks to uh, those fine folks for being along for the ride. We also thank Mike Waters for uh, joining us, as he always does, Thursdays at uh, 2.15. His appearance brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. And, uh, Michael, hello. How are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing? Good, man. Uh, You're a big baseball guy. Any commentary on the uh, Hall of Fame balloting, the way it uh, shook out before we get into last night's game? Well, I love the fact that Vlad Guerrero got in and was recognized. I always thought... Vlad was just an amazing athlete to watch, uh, just a powerful hitter, swung at everything, swung hard, <laughs> and maybe one of the best arms I've ever seen uh, in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, he's, he's right up there with Roberto Clemente and Dave Parker of, of the Pirates, who I'm sure you remember him. Sure. And 
Vlad, Vlad could sling it. Uh, so I, I liked him of all the guys that they got in this year. And, um, yeah, I, I know baseball people always like to get into the minutia and, and delve into stats because the game is so rich in stats and it can be broken down. But I always thought Hall of Fame should be pretty simple. It should be almost a, a knee-jerk reaction. Sure. What what is your what is your first response? What does your instinct tell you? And if, if someone tells you, oh, this guy's coming up or this guy's pitching against us today, did you think you were going against the Hall of Famer or not? That tells you really all you need. There's a lot of guys who are in the Hall of Fame who I think some people made some pretty good arguments and got them in on some numbers and stuff, but I never felt like that guy was a Hall of Famer. Right. Um, but there's a lot of guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame who maybe for a three, four, five-year period was the guy that you absolutely did not want to face. Uh, this was a, a fun exercise. We, we should have brought it on the air, but we're doing it in the uh, break room here the other day. What is the percentage of people that broadcasters and all of us refer to as future Hall of Famers that actually <laughs> then do? So, like, we were looking down the, the uh, projected balloting <laughs> yesterday, and way down at the bottom is Andrew Jones, you know, 7%. Well, most of his career, well, not most, the first half of his career, it was a whole lot higher than 7%. You know, um, he was an 80, 90% guy probably for, for a lot of people that uh, was thought to be a Hall of Famer, and it, it just sort of petered out for him. Uh, we were saying before you came on, to me, a Hall of Famer, you can sum up in a sentence or two, or they were elite at maybe something very specific. And I'm glad mm-hmm. you pointed out, Guerrero, we're, we're going to get to this later. Best bad ball hitter that there's ever been. I guess uh, Yogi Berra would would maybe be up there. I mean, like he hit balls that bounced out of the stadium. He expanded the strike oh, zone. He, he was, struck he out was a lot. The best. But... <laughs> uh, there was other guys who were bad ball hitters, like Ralph Gar with the Atlanta yeah. Braves, or Manny Sanguian with the Pirates, who would swing at anything. Uh, but Vlad could hit anything yeah. and hit it hard. Yep, that one and uh, throwing arm you you hit on, but uh, just a tremendous athlete, huge swing. Uh, huge throwing arm, looked intimidating at the plate, uh, big, long, lean, athletic guy. So uh, good stuff there. We saw a lot of long, lean, athletic guys last night on the hardwood and uh, an 81-63 Syracuse win. And in a strange way, because it had to be, it was their best win of the season in terms of everybody pitching in. And when you only have five guys on the floor, that's kind of going to have to be the way it is. Yeah, I'm pretty amazing uh, how that game shook out once Matthew Moyer went down with the ankle injury and Marek Dolezal comes in. and uh, it, it, it was those five guys left on the floor. Barama said if he didn't play at all, Howard Washington came in for two minutes, and that's it. There's your bench. Um, I think Syracuse was very fortunate last night that Marek stepped in and stepped up. Played really well. Played the way he was playing back in December when he was having some good games. If you remember the way he played against Maryland earlier in the year, he he, he looked the the instinctive. He didn't look scared anymore the way he did in, in the in the first few weeks of ACC play. I think maybe the week off helped him. Uh, going into last night's game, worked a lot last week with Adrian Autry. I think regained a little bit of confidence in his game and especially his shot. Uh, so I think that that could be a real positive for him moving forward, especially if Matthew Moyer is going to miss any time here because uh, they're going to have to play Marek and play him a lot. 
you know, uh, the the other guys. I mean, we're we're used to seeing Howard and uh, Battle and and Brissett all log huge minutes, so that was nothing new. But to see Marek play thirty five and play well was a big deal. I think I caught one time where he still sort of caught, turned, hesitated. You know, and if he shakes that, then you know you you can see the the skill developing, the confidence developing when he catches the ball at the free throw area and can do something with it as a shooter passer, as we said last night, uh, sort of be a Euro, right? <laughs> uh, yep. Because he, the, the billing on European players is highly skilled, can pass and shoot, and they're soft. Dolezal is the complete opposite of that. He, he hustles, he grinds, he'll mix it up with anybody. He plays bigger than his size and uh, is not necessarily a gifted shooter, but it's coming along for him, right? So uh, it is. As you see these things uh, develop, then uh, Syracuse may be able to benefit from that. You know, we had uh, Coach Beheim this morning too early at that point to ask and get a feel for Matthew Moyer's status. But if nothing else, if this uh, forces a little more development of uh, Dolajai there, they're going to be better off for it. In the long run, uh, it'll it'll help if if Marek starts playing some more minutes and gains some consistency and confidence. But you're already talking about a really really thin team as it is, and now you're down one more player. Uh, you know who who's your backup forward? If if Matthew Moyer can't play on Saturday at Pittsburgh, you know, who's your, who's your backup anywhere? I mean, your backup forward, I guess, is Barama Sidibe. And to be honest, I question where Barama is right now because after a week off. He didn't play a single minute last night against Boston College, and I know Pascal Chuku was playing well, but still, uh, very unusual for a you know a seven foot two center to go all forty minutes, and you have to worry about Barama, uh, his health. Where is he? That that nagging case of tendonitis that you know at one point had him thinking about redshirting him for the year. Well, the redshirt is blown, uh, so you hope he can play. Uh, so. Yeah, I might have to watch to see if Barama has to come in at the forward spot on Saturday. Well, you know, there's first of all, there's no question that uh, there's obviously an issue there if he's not able to go in for a minute. And, and you're right, Pascal was playing well, but you, he, while I don't think it about the guards ever, like, oh, this guy should come out or would benefit from, from being out of the game for a minute, you do think that, at least I do, with uh, with Pascal Chuku, who who appears to maybe get a little more winded or whatever, which is understandable, but uh, did go 40 for the first time in his career. I was going to say yeah. this, Mike, about uh, who's your backup uh, forward. Unfortunately, it might be Tyus Battle. So that, right. that Howard Washington coming off correct. the bench and moving Tyus to the forward spot. That, that's probably plan A in, in case of foul trouble with either Dolajai or Brissett. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, and you could probably get away with that against the Pittsburgh team that's not real big, uh, doesn't have uh, a front court, uh, uh, somebody at the four or five position who you're really going to be concerned about. Uh, so, yeah, I, you could – I. You can see that lineup, and that, and that lineup was successful down at Florida State. Uh, wait, wait, I'm getting my games mixed up. Uh, where was the game that Howard Washington played well? It was it Florida, Florida State. State yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that lineup could, could see the light of day again um, down at Pittsburgh, and we'll have to see. It's kind of interesting that it's going to be Syracuse's first rematch game of the year, and it's in such a really close time, and they just played Pittsburgh last week. Uh, so, you know, here they are going down to play the Panthers again, and of course, 
you were working last night. I don't know if you got a chance to get home and see the end of that Pittsburgh. I just read about it this morning. I didn't see it. And then I I ducked in on uh, one of the coaches today who uh, broke down their last five or six possessions and uh, not good. No, it was just watching to get you. You could feel it. You could see it coming. The Pittsburgh kids like with five, six minutes to go in that game. All of a sudden it kind of dawned on them. Hey, we're ahead by nine. We might win a game. You know, because they're winless in the ACC. Uh, unfortunately, they're still winless because they went the next six minutes without making a basket, and NC State scored 13 straight points, and and this was at home. Uh, so, you know, I, it's a tough, tough loss for Pittsburgh. It's maybe their toughest one of the season so far, given that they had a win within their grasp, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond on Saturday against Syracuse. Mike Waters is with us. His appearance, as always, every week, brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. You know, the the way I look at Pittsburgh is this. We always talk about, especially this year with Syracuse, and they're young and, and over the course of the season, how much an individual or a team might improve. Pittsburgh is just, everything's on simmer. They, they've got seven freshmen, uh, you know, and, and they're just trying to get it to click. They're a long way off, obviously, right now. They've lost, I think, six times at home, winless in the conference, but it could click, right? Just because we've seen that happen a million times before where uh, the complete underdog or on on one day, all of the talent or, or performances line up so that they pull something off. That That's kind of, to me, not that Syracuse goes there in quote, hoping that, but they have to go in guarding against uh, Pitt having its best game of the year. And Coach Beha would be the first to say, look, they're actually playing well in stretches. Uh, this is one not they to do. be taken lightly. Yeah, Pitt can play well in stretches, and if they ever figure out, you know, last night they played really well, uh, extraordinarily well throughout the entire first half, and a lot of it was they they made shots. They made eight out of fifteen three pointers in the first half of that game last night. And you make shots, things other things start to look good. You start to feel better about yourself. You're playing with confidence. It was only when all of a sudden the second half they started missing threes that you could see them start questioning themselves. But guys like Parker Stewart and Marcus Carr, they're only freshmen, but they're they're not bad. You know, we saw the Parker Stewart kid come up here to the Carrier Dome a week ago and make seven three-pointers. Right. So Marcus Carr is a tough little guard. Uh, Terrell Brown inside not, uh, is not a bad big man. He's just inexperienced and young. I mean, we've, we've seen that from Syracuse guys, but there's going to be a day or two here where Terrell Brown's going to get it together and play pretty good. Um, the, the the junior college kid that leads them in scoring had a horrible day against Syracuse a week ago. Jared Wilson Frame had only five points, but he's been in double figures in fourteen uh, of their games this year. Career high last so, night. Yeah, exactly. So you know he can play well and play a whole lot better than he did against Syracuse. Will he play better at home? A lot of guys do play better at home. They feel better there. They know the baskets. They like the crowd. So. You know, no, I think this is a game that Syracuse has to come out and play with just as much energy and intensity because the last thing you want to do is give a team like Pitt a chance to start feeling good about itself because you're not always going to be able to do what NC State did last night, which is all of a sudden, all of a sudden start raining threes and get them scared a little bit. No, because now they, they've they been through the fire. And they, they have one more game experience than they did last night, is the way I look at Pitt. Yeah, and Kevin Stallings uh, doesn't have much left. He's got to be pulling his hair out uh, with his oh. team. You hear some of his quotes, and uh, it has been an awfully long year for uh, this 
particular Pitt team, and uh, it was supposed to be that way. You know, it was well chronicled last year that Georgia Tech wasn't supposed to win a game, and they found a way to uh, win more than their share. Looking forward to this one uh, Saturday, four o'clock, as the Orange are on the road in a place they haven't won a great deal just twice ever at uh, Peterson Event Center. So we will see you there, right, Michael? I'll be there. Be looking for you on the sideline, and we get to see one of the greatest athletes of all time in Dick Grote, who will be uh, announcing the game on your That's the, right. for the counterparts there. So, isn't it amazing? He was up until now, and Trey Young may do it this year. He is literally yeah. the only person who has ever led the nation in scoring and assists. And and sad again, not a lot of people know even who Dick Grote is, but he was an outstanding basketball player at Duke, and he went on to play several seasons in the major leagues for baseball. Uh, for the Pirates predominantly, but a few other major league teams too, I believe. Yeah, he was the 1951 um, I, National League MVP. He also could, uh, and you know we're sitting here, he could walk right in and fit under this table. here in this Right? I mean, he's, <laughs> you wouldn't look at him and think that uh, uh, he, he was uh, a two, an athlete at all, let alone a two-sport uh, athlete at the you know top of his game in, in two things. Only 87 years old. Too. 87. And he hangs out at a golf course that he owns. He's pretty much my hero. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Good, Good stuff. Thank you, Mike. Safe travels to uh, Pittsburgh. We'll see you down there. Okay, guys. We'll see you now. Mike Waters. Last night, uh, Pitt scored uh, 43 points in the first half. It was their first halftime lead since like late November, early December. Certainly their first one in the conference. Had a double-digit lead in the second half, led by nine with just under six minutes to go and lost 72-68 against an NC State team that's now 500 in the conference. Parker Stewart put up two I saw two that. points last night, and uh, Jared Wilson framed 22 points last Correct. night. Correct. So. It was basically the opposite yeah. when they were here in the Dome. And that's what's going to happen when you have that many freshmen and you're uh, trying to figure it out as you go. And uh, they are outmatched in terms of talent and experience by virtually every ACC team, and they may go – Winless this year, which is hard to believe given how much Pitt has won historically in the last 15, 20 years in the Big East and in the early years here of the ACC. More to come on our show. We'll check in with Joe on a number of topics here in a bit. Back to wrap it up with some thoughts on the Hall of Fame and all of that as we continue. You're listening in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. February is full of games where Syracuse is going to have to win up. They're going to have to upset people. They're going to have to beat teams that are ranked. That's when the Dukes and the North Carolinas, Virginia again, and the teams that are above Syracuse in the ACC really start showing up on the schedule. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 AM and 1440 AM. Live from the com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. Apology accepted. The National Basketball Referees Association say they accept Kevin Durant's apology after the Golden State Warrior forward accused an official of targeting him. Durant claims referee James William targeted him after they got into an argument during the Warriors, uh, Warriors-Knicks game on Tuesday. Durant was eventually ejected. There's going to be a big summit here, I think, a 
peacemaking between the players and the officials at the NBA All-Star Game, which is the middle of February, and uh, it's long overdue. This is just nonsense. This whole idea, and we talked about it last week, the season's so long that drama like this pops up because everybody's bored with what's happening. The league right now is healthier than it's ever been. There's more good players, uh, not a lot of great teams necessarily, and uh, I know a lot of the playoffs feel like it's – predetermined except for the the Cavaliers struggle but come on already don't be throwing the stars out of games and at the same time those guys need to deal with things a little bit better and the idea that most of these guys openly pop off at the officials that's got to stop too so uh commissioner Adam Silver or whoever is gonna have to step in and say cool it with this and I think the all-star game will be kind of the a breaking point well when this stuff when the uh Referees Association tweeted out that they accepted this. They said that they hope that that's a sign that when this summit happens next month, that there could be a, a more harmonious relationship between the players and the officials. Well, it's just common sense, right? Don't argue every call, uh, you know, Draymond Green, et cetera. Not every call against you is the wrong call. LeBron James. And, and you know, LeBron is a tough one, um, tough guy to officiate. I don't know that he argues every call. To me, he's got a point on, on some of the stuff that he doesn't get called because he's so good and so big and so fast. Uh, but in officials, they need to be able to call fouls against the good players too, but have some common sense. Kevin Durant should have to do some pretty egregious stuff to get ejected because he's the one that everybody bought their tickets to see. I feel like this happens in baseball too, about game 80. The umps start getting yeah, bored. Yeah, well, it's a long year, but that, in baseball – the history of it, this, you know, obviously over time things change and get watered down. But baseball umpires always kind of have a defensive sort of posture, a chip on their shoulder. Hey, what are you coming at me for? You know, the the yelling from the dugout uh, gets to them, and then they fire back. Uh, so, I, you know, the um, why did I just whiff on his first name, Hernandez? But uh, they. Baseball umpires kind of have it coming to them because they sort of they're instigators in in a, in a lot of cases. I don't think uh, NBA officials are as guilty of that. But like even last night, uh, loose there's a ball ricochets. This is there's a whistle, so plays out. But the ball ricochets out to midcourt. Blake Griffin picks it up. Blake Griffin throws a 92 mile an hour sinker at the knees of the ref instead of just bouncing him the ball like every other human being would on you know one lazy hop. To get on the ball, that's that's how you do it. If you're walked into a gym, that's how you pass the ball in that situation. And come on, don't don't be an idiot, you know. So he got a tactical, and he should have in that case. But uh, so hopefully, uh, common sense checks in here, and everybody cools it because it's it's a stupid thing for the league. We, you know, not that we cover a lot of NBA here, but we should today be talking about the triple double that you know Ben Simmons had last night and, and all that kind of stuff not that we we wouldn't talk about that either but the, you know th- this stuff i think's a bad look uh for the league and and uh, hopefully it goes away Bob Costas will not be part of NBC's Super Bowl coverage Costas is calling the decision mu- uh, mutual saying that he's happy to pass along coverage to people who are quote enthusiastic about football Costas has been a critic in recent years of the NFL Yeah you know Bob Costas is an interesting dude. He's obviously very smart. Uh, we you know, know him a little bit here because of his uh, Syracuse University connection, and uh, he doesn't need this for his career. You know, Brent Axe had Liam McEwhan last week. Liam's a, a Syracuse grad as well and will benefit from Costas stepping aside. You know, 
it's obviously tied to Costa's comment about uh, brain injury and the risk of playing football, et cetera. So he can do what he wants. He can pick and choose to do or not do any gig that he wants at this stage of his career, football, Olympics, or whatever. I just don't think he really needs to hide behind it or make up excuses. If he doesn't want to be involved in football, that's fine, and there'll be a hundred other people lined up to do it. And in the, this case, they'll have Liam McHugh and Dan Patrick who will do a fine job. And it's been 20 years since the last episode of Murphy Brown, but the show is returning. CBS announcing the show starring Candace Bergen will return this fall. Well, we're clearly out of any new good ideas, right? So they're remaking shows. I don't really recall Murphy Brown that much other than I do remember it being funny. Candace Bergen's funny. Uh, Will and Grace, from what everybody has said, I haven't watched the remake, but they brought everybody back and they yeah. picked up where they left off and it's supposed to be really good. The old Will and Grace was really good. and this is So if, if they can do that, more power to them. The, the, uh, me being a, a huge Seinfeld fan, Murphy Brown doesn't ring a bell so much for its own show, but for uh, the fact that there was a little crossover when Kramer went to uh, Hollywood there and kind of bugged out, he wrote a Murphy Brown and appeared on Murphy Brown as the... Uh, secretary for Candace Bergen's character. so It'll be interesting because the landscape is completely different now. Cable news is all over the place, social media. So I, I, I kind of wonder how they'll make it, uh, how they'll adapt it to 21st century life. No one's going to watch. They might, I don't know. Who knows? Murphy uh, Brown. I think, I think the first episode will get, you know, 20 million viewers. The way people... Oh, and then maybe months? it'll... No, erode. 20 million watch- viewers? I don't know. Nobody's Who's watching Murphy maybe, Brown. Maybe 19 million. They're not... <laughs> go, just out of, out of curiosity now, yeah. go go find something that exactly 20 million viewers watch because I, I would like to know. Because right. like the Super Bowl, so the Super Bowl is only 70 some odd million. Your typical uh, college football national championship is two or three. So what, what's something that draws... 70 million people. I'm going to look it um, up right now. It'd have to be a, a major television uh, event. Murphy Brown's not going to do that. <laughs> um, there was an episode of Family Ties once that had 36 million. Okay. Family All Ties the, is a good I'm show. guessing these are the final shows. Yeah, that's All what in they, the Family Cosby show. Uh, Friends, Seinfeld had 76. Did you just Google shows that had 70 20 million? 20 most watched TV show finals of all time. There we go. Well, they're going to be finals, though. Yeah, but those are probably going to be the ones that premier do it. Uh, the, the big, highest. The last mash right was a pretty big 105 deal. million, but there was only three channels to watch when they yeah. came out. So, but Cheers is second with 84. I want to know if like t- twenty years from now or more, is there going to be like a remake of Two Broke Girls and this <laughs> type of stuff that's on TV now? They're just gonna because there's not going to be any more good ideas, so they're just going to rehash even Stranger Things. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, perfect strangers. Oh, more, bring more back perfect. Balky yeah. Barthakamus. <laughs> All right. Do we care? Is brought Thank to you, you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. This uh, Costa story was a couple days old, but you were ahead of the XFL thing. Is that a real? Is that really happening today? Three o'clock that, today. Yeah, he's announcing that the XFL is coming back. Huh? Should be back in twenty twenty. 
whether it should be back or the plans are to bring it back in 2020, it, whether anybody needs it. But I, I think uh, I'm for it. I think there's a market for it now more than there was before. I liked it. I mean, I don't know that I'll necessarily watch it or care, but I, I from a business perspective, I can see why they're taking another crack at it. It and Murphy Brown, same reaction from me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we no, mentioned our man uh, Matt Vesgersen, the former uh, Chiefs announcer who's uh, just been named the uh, play-by-play guy for Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. He was the first... XFL. That's why the name. That's why the name uh, yeah. rang a bell the other day. All right, so that's that. Back to wrap up the show after this on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Don't just do it every day. Do it several times a day because it feels that good. Ooh, yep, that's what I'm talking about. Get the latest sports headlines, the buzz around the leagues. Follow your favorite hosts and let them know what you think. Did you miss a show on ESPN Syracuse? Just log on to our website. ESPNSyracuse.com ESPN Radio 97.7 100.1 1200 AM and 1440 AM The Orange Women in the Dome tonight versus Clemson Orange pregame 645 Tip 7 o'clock And uh, just enough time to uh, say our goodbyes here Good to have a little Vladimir Guerrero talk Don't get into a lot of uh, Montreal Expos stuff here, but uh, he could. Uh, what an what an intimidating force he must have been to play third base with Vladimir Guerrero batting had to have you completely out of your mind. But uh, swung as hard or harder than anybody. Got all twisted up as Mike Waters was talking about with us. Could hit anything and could throw like pretty much none other in the, the history of the game. So uh, good to see him. We can kind of touch base on a couple of those other guys. We'll be back on the show here tomorrow and uh, work into Monday as well with uh, Jason Stark, who uh, certainly knows the balloting and the Hall of Fame process as well as anybody. Looking forward to doing that. Have a great weekend. Back at it tomorrow as we head into it. The Orange in Pittsburgh. We've got the Jim Beheim show tonight over at Shaughnessy's. This is the Syracuse. This is not even the Syracuse IMG Sports Network. This is in the booth. We're still in Syracuse. It's ESPN Radio Syracuse.